What is up, movie friends? Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. This is Anthony. And this is James. And today we're going to be doing the original Pirates of the Caribbean, the first three movies, like the original trilogy. We yeah. like to pretend like four and five didn't exist. No, no, no. Don't Outside say of that. Javier Bedem's performances, of course, but they're not awful. It's just these are the ones made by Gore Verbinski, the director. Yeah, these are the these are the best ones. Um they're all amazing movies. I know a lot of people kind of bash on the second and third one, but I think that they're both incredible films and have their own specialties and their own uh, style compared to the first and second one where the third one's like a giant action set piece and the the first one really sets up this great world and these characters and i think i i just really enjoy all three of these films and the characters are amazing it's the best part of these probably my favorite giant Depp performances in his entire career too well i mean the guy got nominated for an oscar for this so it's one of his best performances and he actually won first the uh screen actors guild award best actor in a, in a film that's crazy to say if you're playing a drunken pirate and yeah. you and you win an, uh, get an oscar nomination exactly and uh the reason why i think pirates is so successful because these movies have made uh 4.5 billion dollars all of them all the whole, five the whole franchise yeah. which is this is like marvel money we're talking about so they're huge hits and i think it's because this is the closest thing we've had since indiana jones yeah in terms of the adventure um action adventure swashbuckling exploration um fun family movie that anyone can go to and enjoy. And I think they really capture the style and the tone of the Spielberg films, uh, unlike anyone has before. And the, the adventure um, the adventure and exploration genre is pretty much dying out. And this is probably one of the last shining examples of it. Yeah, I think it's going to come back with, um, what's the movie that they're making? Not Tom, Tom Holland? Yeah, the Tom Holland one. Uh, I, oh, it's a video game. It's based on a video game. Yeah. I think, hopefully that's a good movie and they, they can build a franchise off that because I love adventure movies. And the thing that I loved so much about Pirates when it first came out was it's, it was fresh. It was something we've never really seen before. Obviously, it's based on the uh, the ride at Disneyland, which I've actually yeah. been on. It's a really cool ride. It's I've never super been fun. It. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's really eerie and scary and fun, just it's, like the movies. Is it animatronic? Is yeah, it, animatronic puppets uh, kind of everywhere. And you're just on a boat slowly wa- going through water to see all these cool different scenes but they've updated it since and they put jack sparrow on it because i think it was made in the 1960s originally yeah it's been there for decades and i mean since it's a disney property it was only a matter of time until a film came out of it and i think they were waiting for technology to catch up to it because i think they always wanted to go supernatural with it and then in the late 90s they were like okay we can green light this and make something yeah but i mean like i'm like i said it was so fresh it was a new take on pirates because up until Black per- Curse of the Black Pearl. Pirates were not a cool commodity. They weren't popular. Um, we had seen non-existent. It, really, we'd seen it most previous in in Muppets, and Treasure Peter Island, Pan, and Peter Pan. That's Peter it. Peter Pan. Yeah, but that was even earlier. And then yeah. Cutthroat Island, which was 1995, I think, and that yeah. wasn't even that good of a movie. But I mean, Muppet Treasure Island is fantastic. But that was 1996, and this is 2003 with Curse of the Black Pearl. So pirates were dead adventure, a dead character, basically in terms of of popular entertainment. And in Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl with Johnny Depp, obviously, as, as Jack Sparrow, really made them cool and interesting and, and a pop culture phenomenon. If you like our podcast and content and want to help support us, the best thing you can do is share our podcast with your movie friends and family. We're operating mostly word of mouth. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, where you listen to podcasts. Leaving five-star reviews is very beneficial, and we love reading the written ones. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast to get special perks. In honor of this episode, we're going to do a very special Blu-ray giveaway. We will give away your favorite Pirates of the Caribbean movie. All you have to do to enter the contest is subscribe to our YouTube channel or already be subscribed and comment on the Pirates giveaway video, your favorite Pirates of the Caribbean movie, one through five, whichever one you guys like best. 
put that comment on the video. If you win, we will send you that Blu-ray personally. And also, you have to think to uh, historically portray pirates. They ha they're horrible. They were very bad people. These are people who raped and pillaged and stole and killed and destroyed uh, for their own benefit and greed. And they just traveled the seas, uh, raiding every ship they could find. And so they did really heinous acts. And uh, they were a lot of them were terrible people. So it's kind of like, how do you portray that? That makes them seem portrayed in a positive light and what disney did i think was they captured the tone of uh you could say the peter pan take on the pirates with mm -hmm. captain hook and all the pirates on the ship where it's they're, they're obviously villains and villainous characters but you still uh like them they're a lot of fun and they're more played for comedy than anything yeah and obviously johnny depp is captain jack sparrow um is the reason why all these films worked and have worked for the, for the last uh, 20 years almost. Without a doubt. And Johnny Depp, he's obviously one of Hollywood's most beloved and talented actors. He's had a stellar career, been nominated for three actors. Again, like you said, one three for Oscars. Three... <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> you got nominated for three actors. <laughs> I've been working all day. You host he's a no movie podcast. Nominated... <laughs> nominated for three Oscars, kid. One for Pirates, like you said. Never won one, but I'm sure I'm sure Johnny could have won an Oscar at some point if he took more of those Oscar bait type roles. You mean the roles that don't pay twenty mil? Yeah, but he's an actor who's built his career off the unusual. He does play normal looking guy. I mean, Donnie Brasco is an example of not like oh, a yeah, eccentric he's a, character, yeah, funny, like but the Rum Diaries. Yeah, but Johnny Depp he's pulled off such a wide range of characters. I mean, we're talking Jack Sparrow, Sweeney Todd, Donnie Brasco, Willy Wonka, Edward Scissorhands, John Dillinger, Whitey Bulger, Grindelwald, The Mad Hatter, Ichabod Crane, Rango, George Jung, just to name a few. This guy can do pretty much anything on film as a character actor. It's a great point, and he is one of the best actors of his generation, even though he doesn't get the awards recognition. But the thing with his performance in this film is, like you said, he makes Pirates. So Pirates would not have been as good of a movie without Jack Sparrow, and not just the character, but the way he portrayed him. And the ironic thing is that this script was originally written for Hugh Jackman. It was specifically written for Hugh Jackman to star in it, and they wanted Jack Sparrow to be... Like the typical hero, he's he's strong and confident and handsome and like Will Turner. Yeah, Will Turner and has like good morals and that's who Jack Sparrow was on the page, uh, and that's who he was written for. But for some reason, I think it was scheduling with. Uh, I think they were planning to make X Men movies faster than they were planning. Um, Hugh Jackman couldn't star in this film, so they cast Johnny Depp because he was such a great actor and he was a big star already. And what happened was Johnny Depp began performing in the film, and after several weeks. As the producers and studio were looking at the dailies, which is the footage they've shot already, they began getting very worried about the performance because, I mean, as we all know, Jack Sparrow, he has a very specific mannerism, the way he talks. It's almost like he's, like, constantly kind of drunk and loopy. And uh, if anyone knows, Jack Sparrow is very um, – <laughs> Johnny Depp is very good friends with Keith Richards, the uh, famed guitarist of the Rolling Stones. And this is how he actually moves and, and speaks in all of his mannerisms and – this is how he, similar to how he dresses, and Johnny Depp based Jack Sparrow on Keith Richards. And so it's pretty much an impression of Keith Richards. But also, at the same time, just like how Pirates, the this franchise and these movies were so new, his performance as a pirate, and just in general, this was such an original performance for a character. We've never seen anything like this, like this hilarious, drunkenly, uh, mischievous, also highly intelligent and selfish hilarious character had never been done like this before and especially with pirates like you said pirates are always they're supposed they their history is horrible yeah and that's usually how they're uh, portrayed so it's not that it hadn't been done like that before it's that the hero had never been yeah. portrayed like that the lead hero of a movie and so disney hated his performance 
And they were like, you need to change this up and go back to the confident hero we were planning. And that's written on the page because he did so much improvisation and they were writing scenes during the day. And then Gorvinsky, the director, and Johnny Depp, like they stuck to their guns and they're like, this is what we're doing. We think it's going to really work. And so Disney finally gave in and let them complete the film with this performance. And ironically, the performance is why the movie is so good. Jack Sparrow makes the movie. People go to these movies to see Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow. If there's a Pirates movie without Jack Sparrow in it, it's not going to be good. Well, they're going to be making them soon. So I think Margot Robbie is a very talented actress, and hopefully she'll be able to— I'm sure she will be able to carry the franchise on her shoulders, and hopefully they do a great job with her character and what, what they end up doing with those movies. Yeah. But it will be it will be weird and odd to watch a Pirates movie. We'll go see it, obviously. It'll be weird to see one without Johnny Depp because, like you said, he is the reason you go to see the Pirates movies because— it's Johnny Depp. It's Jack Sparrow. It's a, we're talking the first one. It's 145 minutes. That's over two hours mm-hmm. of a movie of a franchise we've never seen before. I don't care how good your movie is or the script is. If it's two hours and 25 minutes, if you don't have like a great actor in it that's giving you something to, to look forward to every scene, you're going to get a little tedious and bored with the entire story. And for someone who's made so many iconic and interesting and very unique characters throughout his career— I would argue that Jack Sparrow is his most iconic and the one he will be most famous for. Oh, of course. He's been in five movies as the character, <laughs> yeah, so it's obviously yeah. most iconic. It also made him a very lucrative person. Oh, man. What was he pulling in? Like 50 per after the first two or three? Yeah, he gets back end, man. The guy makes bank. It's insane. Did you know that Johnny Depp refuses to watch any of the movies that he actually acts in? And he ha- he has admitted that it is regrettable that he's missed out on performances of his close friends and films that he's with them in, but he believes that seeing his own performance would harm him in his future career and in, in, in roles. And he argues that this, that the roles are done for him with each project when he's, when he's finished filming. Yeah. Some actors are like that. Daniel Day Lewis is like that. Joaquin Phoenix is like that. They, they don't like seeing themselves on camera because I think for them, they would probably critique themselves and lose confidence and uh, maybe there's insecurities with um, seeing what their performances are like, and people like that they won't they won't even see um, they won't even look at the footage on in Video Village. Like on set, they have like a what's called a Video Village where they have screens recording, and then the producers and filmmakers and actors can look at what they just did and be like, oh, we can do this instead or make adjustments and tweaks to to the next take of the scene. But he doesn't like to do that either. He doesn't he doesn't like looking at himself at all on camera. Adam Driver's like that too. Adam Driver has like a intense phobia yeah, yeah. of watching himself on camera and like even gets very uncomfortable when he never talks seen about the star it. wars movies yeah so he's never actually watched any of the movies he's in either yeah but i think that for giant depp and guys like that like daniel day i think that for them the experience of acting and portraying the, the character that's not themselves is what they get out of it more than anything and nick cage was actually the one of the main people in giant depp's life who convinced him to pursue acting despite trying to make it in music because we all know giant depp's a talented guitarist as well and after smaller roles in Johnny's young acting, acting career, he eventually landed the role of Tommy Hansen on the popular TV show 21 Jump Street, which basically led to his stardom. Oh, yeah. And I think his first movie was um, the Freddy Krueger movie, Nightmare on Elf Street. Yeah, but again, smaller yeah, role, small movie. Role. And yeah. then uh, Cry Baby was a big movie That was his big him. leading film yeah. role, yeah. And he just exploded in the 90s, and I think he's, he'll go down as one of the most iconic actors, and I think he's very beloved among fans. His fans Hardcore. are some of the most fervent fans there are of anyone. And despite all the, all the uh, controversy he's going through right now in his life, which we won't touch on because we're just going to talk about his movies and, and his career, he still has intense fandom that support him despite what's going on in his personal life. Yeah, I mean, if you go down Hollywood Boulevard, there's several people dressed up as all of his characters For performing. Real. 
This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off your order and free shipping using coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. Again, Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped has been super generous. They keep sending us so much stuff, and I love using it all. Their deodorizers, their their briefs, their t-shirts, their luxury lawnmower groomer, which is fantastic. It's got a le- it's got a built-in light. It's waterproof, 8,000 RPM, such a smooth cut. Best clips clippers I've ever used in my life. I'll never buy a store brand again. Guys, get on Manscaped. Get all their products. It's high-quality stuff. It will last you years and years and years. You don't have to go to CVS and get these crappy, <laughs> crappy clippers there. No offense, CVS. Don't sue us. It's affordable, and especially with our coupon code, 20% off and free shipping using the coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. Everyone, hop on this. Ladies, this is a perfect gift or just a fun surprise for your men if they don't take care of their <laughs> facial hair and stuff and body hair. So if they need a groom, this is a great hint. Raiders of the Lost podcast at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. And, um... The thing with his character that I love aside from the performance itself is the look of Jack Sparrow. I think it's a, a fantastic wardrobe. Uh, the dreads are cool, the facial hair, but also uh, Johnny Depp wore contact lenses that pretty much acted as sunglasses for him because they shot so much in sunlight. And he even uh, used a real pistol that was built in, the I think, the 18th century. Oh, that's cool. The dirty teeth, the gringy face, he's got like... The eyeliner, I think it's just a, a fantastic look for the character as well as his performance itself. Obviously, one of the other main leads of these films is uh, Orlando Bloom, who absolutely exploded into Hollywood. We talked about Harrison Ford's gigantic several years in film, but Orlando Bloom had, you could argue, the best six years ever. Oh, I have a list of it. Yes, go ahead and say the list. So... Few actors have had the run that Orlando Bloom had in the early 2000s and at such a young age for it, too. And between 2001 and 2007, Orlando Bloom was in The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Black Hawk Down, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Troy, Kingdom of Heaven, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, and Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. This guy's acting career exploded and so did in his bank account for sure. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> It's, it's unbelievable to have those, because Lord of the Rings and Pirates were the biggest franchises at the time. It's yeah. not like now where there's several Marvel franchises and the Fast and Furious and there's always a Batman franchise. Like, these were it. That's that's it. And Spider-Man, that was it. And ironically, it's amazing that his first ever movie role was as Legolas in Lord of the Rings. He actually was cast as Legolas while he was still in drama school as a young man. That's wild. And I mean, Black Hawk Down, that's a great movie, smaller yeah. role. Troy, he had a big role in that too, and that's an awesome movie. And then Kingdom of Heaven, these are all big productions that this guy, he was 24 in the first, in 2001, I think. So that's he's nuts. 21, he's, in 2001, he was 24 for Lord of the Rings Fellowship. And then your, your entire 20s, you're becoming one of the biggest stars on the planet. And he was a huge draw for fans to go see the first uh, Pirates movies. Love yeah, the ladies love Orlando Bloom. He's I a mean, handsome guy. Johnny Depp is beloved too, but but the ladies love Legolas. And guys like Legolas. That's a good-looking man. Yeah, and also what's even crazier about that age, so he was 24 when he started in Lord of the Rings, Kira Knightley was only 17 when she filmed Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. So she was a kid. She was very young. Imagine being 17 years old and being the lead in this $200 million movie. Well, not even that. Karen Knightley, incredibly talented actress, and she's had experience on big-budget big films. She was in Star Wars The Phantom Menace at age 14, and she, she plays Queen Amidala's double in the film, yeah. which is insane. So she, at such an incredibly young age, already had experience on massive films. Yeah, it's a fun fact. So whenever Queen Amidala is not in the, in the uh, queen garb and makeup, it's always Karen Knightley uh, in place for her. And... Uh, yeah, she. I mean, 
I th- Natalie Portman, I think, was like 18 or 17 in that movie, and still Keira Knightley at 14 still looked old enough. But I think Keira Knightley is extremely underrated as an actor because she's been in so many costume dramas and because she's been in the Pirates movies. I think she was kind of, she's was she been kind of like typecast as a certain kind of actor. Like Shakespearean or yeah, action, yeah. ancient action. But I think she has a lot more range than people uh, give her credit for. And we'll see. I mean, she's still very young. But we'll see her as she tackles more roles over the next couple of decades. But she is hands down one of the most talented actors of her generation. Yeah, I really like her in that movie that she's in with Mark Ruffalo where she's a, a strongly musician. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good movie. And yeah. so, I mean, just a small, simple performance. But she's she's an incredible actor. And her character, Elizabeth Swan, goes through so much transformation throughout this original trilogy. And, I mean, she starts off as this, like, daughter of a governor, aristocrat life. And her, her marriage is predetermined. And she has to live by the certain... Uh, rules of this aristocracy, but then she eventually, throughout the three movies, becomes like a captain of a pirate ship at some yeah, point. She which becomes is wild. Like a pirate lord. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. And it is a great transformation. And I think one of the strengths of the trilogy is the romance between Will and Elizabeth because it is it does work. Some actors, you see them on screen, they don't really have the chemistry, and you don't even care if they get together or not half yeah. the time. But with these two, because their love is oftentimes um, forbidden especially in the first film where they're pulled away from each other like the second film, and then the events of what's happening and the conflict prevent them from ever getting closer again, uh, it, you really do vie for them to get together eventually in the end, which they do. And when they do finally become a couple and they get married, it is a tragedy because what ends up happening is, is Will becomes the, the new captain of the, fly, of the um, Flying Dutchman, and he can only see her once every 10 years. So it becomes a tragic love, and tragic love can be a very powerful thing in a film. And to save the marriage for the third movie, insane action set piece climax, which yeah. we'll get to later on when we talk about At World's End. Mm. Well, that's but, one of the strengths of the movies are yeah. the action set pieces. Yeah, and so we, we we got a lot of great practical filmmaking in these movies. Specifically, the first one is probably the most practical because At World's End has a lot of incredible CGI that we've never seen before, especially like the Maelstrom that they're all in the middle. And at the end, that, yeah. that last 30 minutes of that movie is absurd. This episode is sponsored by MoviePosters.com the number one site to get your posters online today. Don't go to Amazon.com, guys. I know it's free shipping, but the quality is not even close to MoviePosters.com. If you've seen our set, it is decked out with all these amazing posters sent to us from MoviePosters.com. These are high quality. They look amazing. They're the highest quality printing you can do. They have every size. They have every movie. The framing, backlighting, anything you want from a poster, they got it, and they can do it. If you love movies, if you love TV shows, there's no better way to express that love than to buy some movie posters for your house, for your bedroom, for a friend, or for a significant other. Go to movieposters.com and use our coupon code RAIDERS15 to get 15% off your order today. Again, RAIDERS15 from movieposters.com. Well, so that in particular, like, so you take a movie like that where the climax with all these storylines coming together and all these characters are battling, and then you put it next to something like Captain America Civil War where, same thing, all these great characters and storylines are converging, but they're fi- fighting in an empty airport. Yeah. So it kind of doesn't have the same stakes or, like, drama as something like this where it's just this unbelievable set piece and it's stunning and it's long and it's it's endlessly entertaining. So I think that Gore Verbinski, the director, 
I can't say enough about how talented of a filmmaker he is and how smart of a, a blocker he is in terms of how he stages his his scenes and his films. And he he previously made The Ring before this, and he's made things like uh, The Lone Ranger and Rango. Very, very talented director, and the set pieces are sh- a showcase for that. Yeah, and I can't wait to talk about that in a little bit because that's one of my favorite scenes. Or I mean, it's it's more than a scene in the entire franchise. Yeah. And then um, in addition to Karen Knightley and Arnold, Orlando Bloom, we have amazing supporting cast villains i mean we have jeffrey rush as barboza we have bill nye as uh um flying dutchman davy jones davy jones and, and who else is there well i just want to say about barboza oh yeah, yeah. for barboza he, i think jeffrey rush he perfectly captured what you think a pirate captain would be yeah he's like much. when i imagine a captain of a pirate ship it's just captain barboza he's he's got that laugh he's got the beard he's got Eventually gets the the stump leg, the wooden leg, and I think he's so perfect for this role. And then Bill Nehi is Davy Jones, and this is such a cool, interesting character because I think this is 2006, and we're starting to see a lot of advanced CGI at this point. And mm. his look, the monster look of his his squid monster face, is phenomenal. The the design is so creative, where like his tentacles are his beard, or where his beard and they even be. like worked like hands. Yeah, and he didn't have any. All they did was have darkened makeup under his eyes, and they had the dots on his face. Yeah, he's they, he's wearing a motion capture suit, so it's funny to see set photos of everyone in their amazing pirate wardrobe, and then Bill Nye's just, just dots on his yeah, face. Yeah, dots his face so in a it, leotard. It's incredible how much went into the CGI, and it still holds up so well today. Honestly, it still looks it looks like it was made this year. That's yeah. how effective it it's is. Phenomenal. It, is, it looks fantastic, and they shot it really intelligently with like a lot of low light and he's in sunlight rarely um, but it looks fantastic and in terms of the production itself for the first film uh, obviously it's the first film in the franchise it was still a big budget 150 million but they didn't have enough money to build these ships for real yeah so they did build three ships the three main ships but they basically built skeletons of the ships so they weren't finished and obviously like, you could see like modern pieces of uh construction for how it was built. Then they CGI'd the bodies of the ships on afterwards. So they did actually build the ships, but not completely. And then we have some more villains, including Jack Davenport, who plays Norrington. And he's the person, This uh, he's, he's like a captain, I think. Or he's general. a captain, yeah. He's a captain yeah. in the British in the British Navy, and he's he's set to marry, supposed to marry Elizabeth Swan. Yeah, he's pining for her, and uh, so he actually goes through multiple transformations in this trilogy. Where you could say he goes through the most transformations. Yeah, him and Elizabeth actually yeah. go through the most because he he pretty much loses his entire life after the first film, and then ends up trying to get it back in Dead Man's Chest, try to retain his reputation because he kind of becomes sort of a pirate, despite the fact that he hates pirates so much. Yeah, it's ironic because he by the second and third film he's be, he he becomes a pirate to to become a captain again. So the irony is really great. And then his superior Beckett is a, a fantastic villain for the second two films. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a, an unbelievable character. Uh, and he he just he the actor he's been in a ton of stuff. I can't remember his name, but he absolutely destroys this role. And he just seems like a incredible leader and very foreboding villain for both films. And then we have Calypso, who's a really fascinating character because she basically is a dual character in disguise, kind of like uh, Ra's al Ghul in yeah, Batman Begins, yeah. where she's really, <laughs> at first she's Tia Dama, who we think is like this pirate voodoo uh, sorceress like that's gypsy-ish. helping them out. Yeah. But she ends up being Calypso, and she has a lot of great story and symbolism with, with Davy Jones, and they have a, a, a kind of a forbidden love in a way. and They, like this, they have a history, They have yeah. a history where Davy Jones was this like lost person at sea who fell who fell in love with the sea and fell in love with calypso and they have this this doomed love where 
uh, Davy Jones betrayed Calypso, which is what caused him to be cursed. She cursed him for betraying his what the power she gave him. And so that's yeah. a really interesting like love fable of the sea that we get to see play out in the final film. Well, that's what's so great about this franchise is because we get to see the characters of great mythology and legend, things like Calypso and Davy Jones and Blackbeard eventually and like the Fountain of Youth and Mermaids and, and the On Stranger Tides. So I think the franchise uh, provides the opportunity for bringing in famous lore from all parts of the world. Um, like uh, On Stranger Times was actually ad- adapted from a novel that someone wrote. So I think it the franchise, is a, you can fill it with so much stuff because it's pretty much, it c- you can have anything in this franchise, which makes it so much fun. You can't talk about pirates without mentioning Hans Zimmer's music for this movie. And same as John Williams, Hans Zimmer has this, incredible knack for being able to create iconic themes for iconic movies that stand the test of time and the pirates movies are some of my favorite music to listen to the themes are unbelievable he captured the energy the tone the style of the film but ironically he's not credited on the first film do you know the story yeah Klaus Bedell is credited in Pirates of the Caribbean as the composer and conductor of the first film because he was hired by Hans Zimmer to write the music for the first film of the Disney franchise, although Zimmer did write the melodies and ideas for the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, he says, in a couple in a couple days, but he enlisted Klaus, Bed- Klaus Bedell's help. So what happened was, the reason for this is because he had worked with Gore Verbinski on The Ring. Hans Zimmer did the music for that. If anyone likes Hans Zimmer, listen to his score for The Ring. It's fantastic. And so when, when uh, Gore Verbinski came to him with Pirates... Hans Zimmer was legally obligated to not make music for six months. He had just done The Last Samurai, and in his contract, it stipulated that after the film, after you finish, you have to you have a six-month window where you can't make music for any other movie. And this is something they put in the, into contracts to prevent composers from like going on to another project, and then maybe that first film needs more music, and then that composer's busy with their new, new projects. So it keeps uh, composers available. Um, and what happened was Hans Zimmer was like, I want to make the music for this movie, but I legally can't. And so, like you said, Hans Zimmer made all the main themes in literally one night. He There's a story he says where he, he got drunk with his friends in his studio, and they stayed up all night, and he just played all the themes on a keyboard until like four in the morning. And they recorded all these amazing themes that he wrote. And then, so they had the themes, and they needed a composer to make the score. And so, like you said, he hired his protege, Klaus Bedelt, to act as the composer of the film. But Hans Zimmer was there for pretty much every day of the recording session. So even though he's not credited, Hans Zimmer did make the music for Pirates. So it's kind of like George Lucas with uh, Empire exactly. and Return of the Jedi, yeah. where he wasn't the director, but he was really the director. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> perfectly said. And yeah, Hans's move- music to these films are fantastic, and the themes are, are there, and they're incredible. And also... The Pirates movies, I think their production design is absolutely phenomenal. The wardrobe, the set design, the the makeup, the hair, it's all incredible. It's some of the best you'll ever see in cinema, especially at the time. And 100%. So, so I, I love to give the, the, the crew so much credit in films like this because it takes a lot of work to do what they do, especially uh, a film based on water and you're dealing with outdoor filmmaking. So it's a really tough job, and they knocked it out of the park in these movies. Yeah, and tops, in, um, in terms of the production design, it is it can be pretty weird and scary and dark and grimy, and these are kids' movies as well. So I think it was really smart of Disney to let go of Rubinsky, uh, act out his true vision for the films, which aren't is not uh, he doesn't play it safe. You know, it can be like disturbing. It's like the 
Davy Jones Pirates, they're like they're disturbing to look at. They're they're scary creatures, and so they really pulled no punches for a PG movie, and they kept it as as strange as possible, which I really love. I mean, there are some real horror elements to these movies, and especially yeah. like the Black Pearl when they're when the the ghost pirates are yeah, walking man. underwater. Like I remember when I was a kid, I was shitting my pants when I was watching that. I remember we <laughs> I remember we went to see a movie with Dad, and that was the they released that teaser trailer before the movie. Whatever we saw, scary, and I, 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 it blew my mind seeing the pirates walking under the water because that was a teaser. It was like just the pirates like walking underneath that ship in the shadows and the yeah. moonlight, and I was just blown away by that. So it was amazing special effects for the day. The first film of the franchise is Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl, released in two thousand three, directed by Gore Verbinski, written by Ted Elliott, Terry Rossio, Stuart Betty, and Jay Wolpert. This film stars Johnny Depp, Jeffrey Rush. Orlando Bloom, Kira Knightley, Jack Davenport, and Jonathan Price. With a budget of $140 million, this film had a box office of $654 million worldwide. Will Turner, an orphaned blacksmith, teams up with Captain Jack Sparrow, a savvy pirate, in order to save his kidnapped love, Elizabeth Swan, from Barbosa and his undead crew of pirates. What I think the first Pirates does really well is this amazing blend between adventure, horror, comedy and romance it's pretty hard to pull off i mean i can't think of another movie except for indie that can pull it off because you get a lot of these elements in the first act of the film where first of all we're introduced to these amazing characters set designs fantastic and then i love the opening of the film where we get to see will and elizabeth when they're when they're kids and uh, will washes up on that boat and is saved by her and it's a great introduction and the elements of this film of horror are really prevalent at the climax of the first act when the pirates begin invading the island. And I just think that Gore Verbinski did a phenomenal job of not rushing the first act, uh, rolling out the characters slowly, really showing us the world, getting to know each person on their own, and then convulging everything. Yeah, if you think about it, Elizabeth Swan might be the main character of these films. I mean, she's the first one, really, and she, we have the opening flashback to present day of her and her that great cut of her as a child and as an yeah. adult. And she's the one that is involved with every single character in the film from the entire beginning of the movie, especially when she finds Will Turner. Good point. And the curse, again, on the horror element, the curse is so fun and interesting. And like again, we've never seen anything like this. Is this pirate curse and all these all these pirates that are undead and they're and they're <laughs> looking for the the final medallion of their 882 pieces of of gold treasure that they were cursed with. And then we're, we're introduced to to Will Turner. And then we're introduced to the infamous jack sparrow and this iconic character and he's so fun he's ridiculous he his his opening shot in the movie is he's just riding a sinking ship onto a <laughs> onto a dock well, how, he t- kind of times it perfectly too how much more epic of an opening can you get after he walks but after he sails past hung pirates so we get a lot of great exposition without being told what's going on and the thing with jack and that's the perfect example of it half the time jack seems like he's like a bumbling idiot who doesn't really know what he's doing and he's always drunk and then half the time he seems like he's a perfect, amazing strategist who always he's always a, a step ahead of everyone else. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect example of his ship is sinking, but you know what? He timed it perfectly to take a step <laughs> onto that dock right when it sinks. So, I mean, it, he goes hand in hand with that. And that's a, and we also get the first escape that Jack Sparrow has. His famous, what I think the, one of the most fam- famous things about Jack is how he escapes situations. And he's yeah. always r- r- swinging around on ropes like Spider-Man and, and parkouring all over the place. And we get that first initial... Uh, chase from the uh, from the military men after that iconic line where uh, the captain is like, you've got to be the, the worst pirate 
I've ever heard of. And he goes, you have heard of me, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, he's, he's like a Houdini escape artist. And there's, there's like a genius to his aloofness in a way. Like yeah. if he wasn't always drunken, like maybe he's like one of the smartest people you ever meet. But because he's always <laughs> hammered, he, it only comes out in, in glimpses. But also he, he gets hysterical mannerisms at the same time. Uh-huh. And I love the opening with Elizabeth specifically where she's, you know, we were introduced to her life in this aristocratic environment, and she has that corset, which is kind of like a metaphor for how suffocating her life is and how she's being controlled by her mother. And obviously she has the secret of this pirate medallion that she, she hasn't told anyone about ever, and she's really the key to the plot of this moving forward. Yeah, she drives it forward, and, and the, the, lo- the key, this piece of gold is what brings the situation to this bay. And I love the introduction of Will because he's a— He's that hero. He kind of reminds me of like Jon Snow, where he always tries to do the right thing. He came from nothing, um, and he's just trying to make his way. And he doesn't see himself ever accomplishing anything, hence the reason why, even though he's in love with Elizabeth, he doesn't think he'll ever be worthy of her because he's just a, a swordsmith, and she's a governess. Blacksmith. He's a, Well, they make swords, but yeah, she's a, he's a blacksmith, you're right. And so I think it, you, can com- you can compare him to Jon Snow in that way, and I, I love... I really love the first time Will and Jack meet when Jack is evading the authorities and, and Will being the good person he is stops him. And there's that just fantastic sword fight in, yeah. the, in the blacksmith room and, uh, and they're jumping around. And it reminds me of like the Three Musketeers fights. And it was just so much fun. I remember being a kid watching this first sword fight and really having the time of my life in the theater. And Jack, we think he's just a nefarious character, which most of the time he is, but he really does have a heart somewhere deep down because... After he escapes everybody and he gets away, he's a, he's about to steal that ship from the British Navy. And instead of stealing the ship, Elizabeth Swan falls down into the ocean. He goes to save her instead of steal the ship. So he could get away clean. But he goes to save her, which basically her falling in the ocean, we all know, uh, makes the medallion basically become a beacon for the pirates to come come yeah. find the, the medallion. But it's a great script. It shows you that Jack really at some point had a heart. There's still some of it in there deep down. Well, that's the thing with Jack is even though half the time his intentions are often selfish and nefarious and and, uh, criminal, he does always eventually make the right decisions, and he does always try to eventually do what he can to save his friends and aid his friends and family. And so this is the first example of that. And also you need need something like this to, to make him an empathetic character because if he doesn't do this, I don't think Jack Sparrow has the, the lovability because, yeah, he's funny and he's a pirate, but, like, he did, there's no heart to him. And so this allows the audience to connect to the character because he puts his life on the line to save Elizabeth. So it's actually a very important moment for his character. And one of the best parts of the first act is we don't really see the barbaric savagery of pirates yet. We see the burning ship, that uh, wreckage with the pirate flag that Will Turner's washed up on yeah. in the beginning of the film. But then we get we get Jack Sparrow who's like, is this, a, is this what all the pirates are like? <laughs> but then we get the attack on the port city, the port town of the pirates once they, they find out they can find out where the medallion is. And it's, it's intense an intense battle there they're merciless they're there's thieves they're plunderers for a disney movie it's pretty violent it's, yeah it's yeah. pretty gory too and this is obviously where where jack escapes too with the because will uh helps him escape to go track down elizabeth because elizabeth gets taken because barbosa thinks that she is the bootstrap bill's the, child yeah, yeah the child of bootstrap and they need her blood to complete the the ritual to reverse their curse yeah it's pretty much a big misunderstanding 
And then, so then we get this (laughs) (laughs) understatement. (laughs) And so we get, it's always great. A movie can work really well, especially an ensemble when you have two characters who are complete opposites and they have to work together for the same goal. And you have that in Will and Jack because they constantly clash and they couldn't be, they couldn't be more different from each other. Although deep down, Will has the pirate within him. Yeah. In a way. Because we learned that his father is Bootstrap Bill, who was on the Black Pearl and Will eventually will follow in those footsteps of being a pirate despite them. We see a lot of characters who hate pirates who end up learning to work with them and, and like yeah. amicably become part of the same crews as them. Yeah. And then while while Elizabeth is with the pirates, this is when we finally get to see, because we just got a hint of the skeletons in the moonlight with the hand in the jail cell with Jack. But it's when when Elizabeth is on Barbosa's ship, the Black Pearl, and, the, and first she's in that dining room with him. And he he reveals uh, himself as a skeleton in moonlight, and then she goes onto the the board of the ship, and every pirate is just this terrifying, horrific skeletal pirate in the moonlight, and it's a fantastic scene, and it adds, like I said, that horror element to the film, which is why I think this film is so entertaining and so memorable because it blends not just adventure, action, comedy, romance, but really great horror. Yeah, like when we have those scenes where there are skeletons in in that cave with all their gold that they're collecting, and we see all the gold in the chest and the moonlight's shining, and it's really cool. And then the the part where where Jack becomes a skeleton for a little bit because he steals the medallion as well, too. So he's, again, this is where Jack is is kind of always a step ahead of villains. And this is even more apparent when we'll get to at World's End, how how far ahead he actually thinks and how, how he... Is working everything out before they ha- before it happens, and um, one of my favorite aspects of Jack Sparrow, and that we'll see throughout all three films, is his compass. And Jack Sparrow's compass comes up and up again, and it's it's used not it. <clears throat> and there's a scene where people make fun of his compass because it's always shaking and it's not pointing north ever like it yeah. should. Because Jack's compass was given to him by Calypso, I believe. Or a voodoo sorceress. Yeah, I'm, and, um, I'm not sure if it was her specifically. And uh, the the compass points the direction of what the what the holder, holder truly wants more than anything in life. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's how he finds the black pearl. It's how they're able to to find whatever they're after uh, the dead man's chest later on. So it's one of my favorite aspects of the character. And also, I think the reason why oft sometimes it can be hard to read is because I think the ambiguity in Jack because. He wants to be a pirate more than anything, and he wants selfish things, but then sometimes he can't help but want to do whatever he can to save his friends and help uh, for the betterment of everyone else. So I think that compass also represents the the um, moral conundrum within himself of just being a ruthless pirate and then being a good man as well. And we eventually find out that Will Turner, obviously, is the the descendant of Bill uh, Bootstrap Bill, and it's the, his blood that is needed to lift the curse of the Black Pearl that's on this cr- on this crew. And this is where Jack stealing that medallion comes into play, where because he stole the medallion, it's not until him and Will combine their medallions with Will's blood to drop into the chest. At the same time, Jack Sparrow shoots Barbosa in the chest, making him mortal again and killing him. And it's just a, it's a great twist ending. And I, I, the climax of this film, it's a lot of fun. And it's a lot smaller than the other two films, and I think I like that because the scale is a lot smaller. Um, there's less at stake. It's literally just the the pirates and the situation. And I really like that about this film the 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 personal the the personal quality to the climax and, and the conflict. And I, it's so much fun. The sword fight's great. The uh, the music's great. The ending's fantastic. And I just I, I just like everyone else, I adored these characters, and uh, it's a fantastic conclusion, especially the ending when. Uh, 
Will helps Jack escape the noose, and they have that great chase scene out of the city, and, and they both jump over the cliff, and Elizabeth chooses Will over the captain. And it, it's just the, the romanticism, the action, adventure, they all culminate in, a, in a, a fantastic ending. And like me and everyone else who saw it, we wanted more because it was so good, and we were, we were dying to see the second film. Next up, we have Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, released July 7th, 2006, directed by Gore Verbinski. Written by Ted Elliott, Terry Rossio, Stuart Betty, and Jay Wolpert. This film stars Johnny Depp, Bill Nee, Orlando Bloom, Kieran Knightley, and Jack Davenport. This film grossed $1.06 billion on a budget of $225 million. Jack Sparrow's past comes back to haunt him. Davy Jones, owner of the infamous Flying Dutchman, is eager to collect Jack's soul. In order to avoid this... Jack must race to find Jones's coveted chest before others find it for their own agenda. This is an incredibly underrated movie, and it's incredibly successful as well because this was like the first movie that we. It's it's common occurrence now where these films, massive films, have enormous uh, debut weekends. But Pirates opened in at 135 million dollars, which it was the first fastest film to make 100 million dollars on an opening weekend. Yeah, which is I absurd. think the fastest to a billion as well. Yeah, so it's absurd for for being 2006 for them to accomplish this because it shows that there was such a thirst to see the sequel to the original film, and that this these are new characters that we're we're in love with. And I love I like this movie a lot. I know it gets a lot of flack. The last two do, but this is underrated as hell. The production design is fantastic, and what's great about this movie is is they they increased the stakes, they increased the goals and the plots more more emotional, and so all these characters. Have, have more of a drive, which makes the plot so much better. And on top of that, they all have the same goal. So I mentioned like a couple episodes ago, uh, a, a movie is great when both the protagonist and the antagonist have the same goal because they battle for that goal. And in this film, it's not, it becomes an ensemble pretty much. There's like four or five major storylines that are happening. And each person, they're, both, they're all vying for the heart of Davy Jones. And for their specifically own, the chest. The chest, which has Davy Jones' heart in it. For their own specific reasons, and so now we have all these converging plots vying for the same uh, end, which is fantastic, and it, it creates a great conflict throughout the film, and that's why this plot is so good. I think that this movie is super underrated. The second, the sequels are actually very good. If you give them a second look, a second viewing, and uh, they've aged really well, and they're a lot of fun. They, they, like you said, they increased the size, they they built on the world, added new characters, and they made the the stakes much higher and on top of that both dead man's chest and at world's end were actually filmed at the same time it was filmed as a back-to-back movie so it was pretty much one giant project same thing with a uh, lord of the rings and so they knew what how they were going to end in at world's end so i think maybe not finishing a full story is the reason why some people don't like it but i don't mind it as the penultimate episode the like in between of the first and third and I just I think this movie is just flat out a lot of fun. Yeah, and just to touch on like what you just said, how you have all these different characters all with the same goal. It's it's very similar to what we saw with Avengers in Infinity War and Endgame, where all these characters are all after the Infinity Stones, and they all have they're all they're a combination of characters. They're heroes, they're anti-heroes, they're straight up villains. There's some people who kind of teeter on those lines, but they're all chasing the same goal. All complex, unique storylines that are somehow connected in different ways, but also not connected at all. And it's it's again, it's a race or a quest against the clock. And this movie 
Kind of like Jack Sparrow, he's always in these situations of a tick, ticking clock. This movie specifically, ticking clock the entire time. This movie, it doesn't take a break. And this film has two really great villains. So first we have Beckett, who ends up being, we learn, the the superior to um, Davenport, who's now become like a pirate in a way. And then we also have Davy Jones himself. Like I said earlier, we get to add these legends and these mythological characters of lore and history into this franchise because of its inclusivity of these kinds of stories. And I think Davy Jones was a great choice for the ultimate villain of the franchise. And like we said earlier, fantastic technological design um, of this of this creature. And I think the Flying Dutchman is so famous. I, I think I remember him mostly from SpongeBob, yeah. the, the episode <laughs> with the Flying Dutchman. You're good. You're, You're good. good. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he's a, a fantastic character, and special effects look amazing. And I think with this film, they really upped the the horror and the darkness. Like like his his entire crew, it's like very disturbing to see these characters, and it's pretty scary. Some of these the fight sequences and action sequences they're pretty intense. And then also we get the Kraken, the famous Kraken from Greek mythology, is in this film, and I think it's a, a great addition to the franchise. Yeah, so we have a lot of powerful opposing forces all pulling in the same direction to achieve one goal and it makes it such an investing investing worthy film to watch and to stay tuned for even though how long it is and this film we also are introduced to talia who we end up learning is calypso and she's she's basically a voodoo priestess who i uh, who at the end of the film kind of shelters the pirates to be continued for the next to the next in the franchise and we also learn of davy jones and his dead man's chest, which holds his heart, which is Calypso tells him, Talia tells him is his biggest and really only weakness. And it's locked away in that chest. And in order to basically beat Davy Jones and prevent their enslavement onto his crew and force work on his crew, they have to find the chest and steal his heart to, in order to gain control over Davy Jones. Well, everyone wants the heart for different reasons. Yeah. So Beckett wants the heart in order to take over the seas and end piracy. And then Will wants the heart in order to save his father from Davy Jones' um, crew. Well, he originally wants it to save Elizabeth, Elizabeth yeah, but then, then he it meets changes. His father. Yeah, then yeah. it changes to save and then, his father. And Jack wants the heart to save himself from being taken down by Davy Jones. And then Davy Jones obviously wants the heart to protect himself. Because so, it's his heart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone wants the heart for a different reason, but they all have the same goal, just with different intentions. That's what makes it so good. And Will and Elizabeth... You want them to be together, but again, the forces and conflicts of the movie prevent it from happening. And unfortunately, I think this film has the weakest interpretation of Elizabeth Swan. Um, she be kind of becomes a bit of a passive character in this film because she's the only person in the film that isn't trying to get the heart for her own reasons. I think that they kind of made a mistake in this part where she became just a secondary character. She becomes very important in the third film, but in this film, everyone else is trying to get the heart, and she's just kind of along for the ride. So I think they kind of missed the mark with her on this. I actually disagree. I think she's actually got a lot of dimensions in this film, and it may not look like she's a memorable, or may look like she's a passive character, like you said, because she doesn't really have a, a spoken goal to get the chest, but her goal is to save Will, and she achieves that goal eventually, or tries to by, she's the one who finds the chest. She's the one that she wants the chest to save Will, so that's her goal to get the chest. Um, she she fights off Davy Jones' crew. She's one of the like the only characters in the movie that commits a lot of different crimes. So she's like more of a pirate than the pirates in the movie. And there's also 
I think a lot of misconceptions about her character in the movie in terms of the compass. You know, when she holds the compass and it points at Jack, people think that there's this like odd sexual tension between this love triangle between Jack, Elizabeth, and Will, when really it's it's not that at all. She's using Jack to get Will to save Will because when she holds the compass, it points at Jack because what she wants most in life is Will. And the only way to get Will back is with Jack as because Jack told her that he's the only one that can save Will. So I think I think there's a lot of misconceptions about her character, but she really does have multiple dimensions in this film, like the other characters who are after the chest. No, yeah, you have you, you definitely have a good point. She does have a lot to do. And she even even more so, she has the most impact on Jack's life because she's the one who who tricks Jack into being chained onto the the boat and taken under by the Kraken because she knew that the Kraken was after him and she had to stop him to save everyone else. So she ends up saving everyone by binding Jack to the ship himself. She also is one of the most important characters because she's like a voice of reason for the, for everyone else because they're all, all everyone's fighting in this movie and yeah, bickering. They're all immature children. I mean, just to show yeah. you like that three person sword fight at the end yeah. of the movie where where Elizabeth's the only one trying to get them to stop acting like <laughs> idiots basically the whole time. Uh, and I love that 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 sword fight because between Davenport, Jack, and Will because it shows the strong desire and goals of these characters and how how badly each of them wants the dead man's chest and Davy Jones' heart for different reasons. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention Davenport wants the heart to give to Beckett to get his to, reputation yeah, back. to get reinstated. Yeah, so everyone has has their own storylines. That's why it works so well, and it is a lot like Endgame, like you said. I never thought about that. It's very similar. I think they kind of like. Maybe use this as inspiration. I wouldn't be surprised if they did because they did it really effectively. It's a Disney movie, so they probably were like, "Hey, let's do something like this." It worked really, really well. And so I think that yeah, that's a great that's a great example. And I guess you're right. Elizabeth does do a lot in this film. I just think that in the third film, she has a much more important role in the plot itself. I would say. I think she does in in both. It's just I think it's it's underneath the surface of everything else that's going on. You have to like you have to look at it differently. Yeah, I think you're right. And then also we learn about the curse of Davy Jones and that. Uh, whoever does kill, who, if someone kills Davy Jones by stabbing his heart, they will be cursed to uh, Captain the Flying Dutchman indefinitely, and they will only be able to come up to resurface onto land once every 10 years. And so killing Davy Jones comes with a price. But you also get immortality, yeah. which is enticing to Jack at the end of the third film. But um, all in all, it's a fantastic sequel. I think if, if you aren't really a big fan of it, maybe give it a second chance because I think it's a lot better than you might remember. It's got a great ending. I think it's a really great time, and it furthers the stories and events of these films and sets it up for a fantastic conclusion. I think it might be the funniest one, too, of yeah, the I think three. Yeah, like that big chase yeah. on the island. And the Wheel of Fortune yeah. stuff. And, and Jack's just hilarious in this, like when he's yeah. with the cannibals and he's tied up and he's trying to like put the fire out. It's, yeah. it's really funny and, and campy. There's the actually thing. a lot, like, the, Gore Verbinski threw in a lot of, like, Chaplin and Buster Keaton-type uh, action sequences and bits. And I think that uh, they they used a lot of silent film comedy with Jack in, in particular in this film. Yeah, like specifically when he's on the beach running away from the cannibals and he has that hilarious gaping run while yeah. they're all chasing after yeah. him. It's all it's all silent film stuff. Yeah. Like that's what they're doing. And it's like it's the thing is it's that stuff still works as you can tell. It's a contemporary movie, and the things they were doing almost a hundred years ago are still funny. So f- comedy itself does it's this, we still find the same things funny. It's just the 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 lens has changed. Yeah. The final film in the trilogy, Pirates of the Caribbean, at World's End, released in 2007, directed by Gore Verbinski, written by Ted Elliott, Terry Rosio, Stuart Beatty, and Jay Wolpert. This film stars Johnny Depp, Bill Nehi, Orlando Bloom, Kira Knightley, Jack Davenport, and Jeffrey Rush. With a budget of $300 million, this film had a worldwide box office of $960 million. 
Captain Barbosa, Will Turner, and Elizabeth Swan must sail off the edge of the map, navigate treachery and betrayal, find Jack Sparrow, and make their final alliances for one last decisive battle. At World's End just makes the scope of the world so much bigger, and we finally get international. We go, we go to China, and we meet Chow Yun-Fat's character, uh, Captain Fung, and it's a great extension of the world. It gets so much bigger in this film. We get to see that there's a pirate council, and there are pirate lords, and the, the, the idea and community of piracy is a lot bigger than we initially thought. If you think about just the Curse of the Black Pearl film, it's like, oh, there are probably just a, a few pirate ships in the ocean. But now we learn it's a gigantic community, and there are probably hundreds of pirate ships from every country. And I love the international quality that we get. It also adds a lot to the, the set design and, and the wardrobe, especially Keira Knightley's wardrobe in this film is fantastic. And I just love the expansion of the world and the world building of this film. Yeah, the spectacle of the action in this film is immense, and it takes precedent and place over a lot of the storytelling because the final action set piece of this movie is phenomenal. And But I, I, back on the opening real quick, I love so much because we have like all these scoundrel pirate groups kind of gathered together on the same uh, goal of rescuing Jack Sparrow because we forgot to mention that he basically ends the last film, Dead Man's Chest, where he's like getting eaten while fighting a sword by that giant monster. And then we learn that Jack Sparrow is actually um, in Davy Jones' locker. And so this is kind of a limbo that he's in where we have these great interactions with Jack and kind of his inner conscience, which happens throughout the film. It's like mini versions of Jack, and we <laughs> sometimes get three Jacks on screen at the same time, which is, I mean, we love Jack Sparrow. What's better than one Jack Sparrow? Two or three Jack Sparrows on camera at the same time. And so it's so fun to watch him talk to himself. Yeah, multiple Jacks. And then and so the, the driving force of the first act of this film is the pirates have banded together and voted that they're, uh, they're going to try and save Jack and bring him back in order to help them. And also... Captain Fang, he believes that Elizabeth is this uh, character Calypso. So she, he thinks the spirit of Calypso is in within Elizabeth. Yeah, and so we we learn I got another misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> which he eventually, once he dies, he actually leaves her in command of his ship, which is pretty wild. And then we also have Davy Jones is under the control of Beckett because if you remember, the heart was given to Beckett at the end of the last film by uh, Davenport, and so Beckett basically has. Davy Jones kind of carrying out all of his his deeds that he wants done and like cleaning Piercy, up the trash. Yeah, Piercy is not happening right now. They're they're very much under uh, ruthless rule of Davy Jones now. Yeah, he's making him uh, shoot anyone who disobeys. He's making him she- sink other pirate ships. He's been ordered to kill the Kraken, which is his baby. So that's a horrible. It's a hard thing for him to have to accept and do. But he has to do it. He's ordered to like do his be- baby, baby. Yeah, like his baby he made that. I mean, kind of <laughs> looks like his face a little bit. So it, so even Davy Jones at this point is under the control of someone else, which is super interesting to see like someone in like normal society controlling all the pirates and controlling all these supernatural characters. Yeah, that's why I think Beckett's such a great character because he's so ruthless and he's a great leader and he's just he becomes immensely powerful and he he is commanding this uh, supernatural being to carry out his deeds across the ocean. And so I think Beckett is a a great adversary in this film. Not very. Not like the colorful adversary we're used to seeing in Pirates movies. Like we get ba- we get Blackbeard and we get Javier Bardem and Dead Men Tell No Tales. Just very colorful, uh, visually stunning characters. But but I think he's just more ruthless than any of them. In this film, we learn a lot more about Davy Jones and his past and love relationship with Calypso. And Davy Jones was a human sailor who fell in love with Calypso, who was a Calypso, who's a sea goddess. And uh, he was then Calypso gave him. The job, uh, the job so, okay, of okay, the okay. Flying Dutchman, gotcha. and he, but he used it 
um, nefariously and selfishly, and so then she cursed him. And so he was cursed to only return to shore every 10 years to see his love, and Davy Jones felt that Calypso betrayed him because she wasn't there when he came the first time, and so he basically betrayed Calypso himself and heartbroken in this enraged Davy Jones and turned the pirate brethren against her so that they could claim the sea for themselves, basically. Yeah, exactly. And then in this film, uh, once again, Will and Elizabeth, because their marriage was uh, uh, stopped in Dead Man's Chest, we want them to get together again. But Elizabeth actually takes on a great amount of responsibility in this film. Like you said, she becomes, she's named Pirate Lord uh, after uh, Fang's death. And so it's it's still prevented from happening. But all of these great storylines and, and plots and these new characters, they're all converging into this great climactic third act of the film which you could say is probably the best act of all of the films well, before we get to that can yeah. we talk about the parlay scene that oh, they're the all parlay, involved in, yeah. which is just so cool to yeah. see these these six characters all together and this is where beckett and davy jones swap will for jack and then uh, barbosa also steals the piece to, the piece of eight from jack too and verbinski even shot it it's like a western where he keeps going from wides to like close-ups on their eyes yeah, and the sides very, very much like a sergio leone kind of uh blocking and cinematography it's a really fun it. scene yeah it's really great to see all these immense these huge characters in the movie just all facing off together yeah it must have been a fun day on set and but then we have that ep- epic action set piece which is set off into a maelstrom storm which is a giant wor- uh, whirlpool storm because by calypso calypso is told about the betrayal of davy jones what really happened this she morphs into all those crabs and she goes to well sure first she becomes giant on the oh, ship yeah, she's like six stories tall. yeah she becomes a huge like it's like the what's that movie the old movie like attack of like the six store like six hundred foot the hundred foot one yeah. yeah something like that yeah. and then yeah so then she goes into the ocean as all those crabs and she creates this wild maelstrom and then we have this epic sea battles armada armada battle which we, you've never seen anything like this before you've seen armada battles before you've seen hurricane storm movies before but a maelstrom with an armada battle is nuts the black pearl versus the flying dutch and it literally takes it has everything in this sequence that you would need in an entire movie it has action has romance has drama comedy will and elizabeth quickly marry before like the battle officially starts it's it's insane they're like now's not the time to do this (laughs) (laughs) but it's great and like i mentioned earlier like a climax like like maybe like man of steel the fight with zod in the city and like i mentioned earlier captain america civil war where all these amazing characters are fighting but they're in just like an empty airport the it's it's not dramatic, and it's underwhelming in a lot of ways. The fights are cool, but like it's not as memorable. It's not memorable, but but with this, it's this gigantic whirlpool, and it's like it couldn't be more visually stunning. And it it lasts a while. It's a, it's, a, it's like its own little mini movie within yeah. the movie. There's a lot happening. It has its own storyline throughout and conflict. And I think it's just an unbelievable piece of uh, action set piece design. Uh, it showed Gore Verbinski's. She really showing off his talents as not just a, a director but a visual storyteller because obviously not a lot of dialogue is happening. But it's all action, and in a lot of ways, it's like it's, it's a little silent film if you look at it. You can watch this without any audio and still understand what's happening. But there's also still a lot of small character moments that they put in on purpose to keep you emotionally invested in this very... It's a pretty long sequence, yeah. and there's a ton of big action happening, but lots of small cuts of the of the main characters and what's going on. Like, obviously, the, the, the quick wedding on, on the ship, but also... We get Jack Sparrow in, like, all his glory. We, we see his cleverness. We see 
the things he does, like how he tricks Davy Jones to get an eye on the key to steal to cut it off his off his tentacles. We see that escapist side of him where he, where he he like cuts the rope and he swings up like on the mast yeah, yeah, and yeah. like stand and lands on the top of the mast. He's like, oh my god, how to do that? <laughs> and so it's just this awesome form of Jack Sparrow in all his glory, hundred percent. And then Elizabeth gets her hands dirty too. She's fighting a lot of Davy Jones' crew on her own. She really holds her own, and like we said. She becomes a, a fully transformed character by this film, and she is a full-blown pirate and a warrior by this film. And I, I think, I mean, there obviously, obviously aren't, haven't been a lot of strong female characters in that point in time in Hollywood, and I think that Elizabeth Swan is a shining example of a really great female character really getting rough and dirty with the boys. And we have an awesome climax inside this giant action set piece where Jack gets a hold of Davy Jones' heart, and so he has the choice to either stab the heart and kill Davy Jones and assume the immortality and the and and save his life and save the black pearl and also if he stabs the heart Will Turner's going to die so what happened was Davy Jones uh gave Will a mortal wound so Will Will was mortally wounded and he's dying and so both Elizabeth and and I must call him Johnny and Jack have to decide how to save Will's life and so they end up coming with the idea of literally placing the knife in Will's hand and they help him stab the wound without him really doing it, but they do it for him. Yeah, so he they let Will stab the heart and this means Jack has to let go of the Black Pearl, which is all he's talked about. It's all he's ever wanted. Movies. It's yeah. all he's ever wants. The only thing it's the only thing he says he's cared about. And this is a massive character transformation because it shows that he really does care about Will. He cares about Elizabeth and he cares about their marriage and their relationship. And so he sacrifices his life ambition and potentially his life he could die to save will turner yeah it's a great moment and it does it saves will's life because at first we were not sure if it did work because the ship sinks and just when they're about to lose the battle from the uh, to the british uh, will it, the flying dutchman pops back up and will is the new captain and he's like reincarnated, reincarnated he's all clean and stuff he, lo- he looks great and it's like oh shit will's alive and so we do it it, it really did work and and it's a great conclusion, but then also we learn very quickly that it's tragic because Will now is is cursed by the Flying Dutchman to be its captain forever, and he yeah. can only come back to shore every ten years. And the movie ends obviously we we kill Beckett, which is really yeah. it's awesome. And then it's uh, a great scene, the slow motion, the destruction of his ship. And then he and Elizabeth eventually have to say goodbye, and she's also pregnant, and he gives her Will gives Elizabeth. A new chest, the same chest, but now his heart's inside of it. Uh. So his heart's inside the dead man's chest. And after the credits, Elizabeth and his son are waiting for Will to return. He eventually is on the top of the mast of the ship coming to say what up. Yeah, he's this guy like, hey, what's up, baby? And I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And the end sets up more adventures for Jack where now they're going to go after the Fountain of Youth. And so it's a great ending to these original three movies. And then the the, the most recent two in the franchise, uh, the last film, it did end up... uh, ending their storyline will and elizabeth by i don't know if you've seen it but his son is uh the lead one of the lead characters in the film he pretty much plays will and eventually throughout the story they they end up saving him from the curse and so will at the end of that film will is reunited with elizabeth at the end and he's not cursed with the flying dutchman's curse anymore so i've seen it once it does have a, a a happy conclusion for the couple by the end of the franchise so far but i think this is at the moment we thought this would be the last one and so we, it was I think it was a fantastic conclusion to at the time the trilogy and it was it was a phenomenal movie uh, again it's one of the best adventure movies you can think of 
it's a dying genre, like I said earlier, and no one has done it better than Pirates in the last 20 years. And that concludes our Pirates of the Caribbean episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to Raiders of the Lost podcast, and we'll see you soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost podcast. Hit that subscribe button and notification bell. Listen to the audio formats of Raiders of the Lost podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast.